Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. Hey, so welcome. Uh, welcome to the Bonnie Podcast. I really wanted to talk to you because I used to attend a lot of uh, EdTech events at, mm-hmm. that AWS used to host, and I used to be the only Bengali person there. And so I was really excited to see not only a Bengali person, but also a, a, a Bengali woman that's representing uh, EdTech. Yeah, you were, you were going to the wrong one. You should have came to my mixers. All right, now that I know. Yeah, I think it's amazing. <laughs> And you're also utilizing, I think, a tool that a lot of people don't utilize, Meetup. I think Meetup is amazing, right? How did you stumble across Meetup? Honestly, um, I was teaching at a school at one point, and I just wanted to know more about what was happening in the area. So I figured, okay, Meetup is accessible, and it's usually open to the public or that are a $5 donation. I said, figured, why not? And from there, I just started attending more. Some of them have been really, really valuable. Like instead of what, paying, I don't know, a $700 registration fee for a conference, you can still get some type of value from going to a meetup that's walking distance or just hopping on the train. And at what point did you start your own? Well, I actually co-run and co-organized the New York EdTech meetup. Um, I was participating for about a year and then a year or two and then decided that, okay, I'll take the leap on co-organizing it with two other people, which is Jessica Millstone and Mike Kleba. So it's been such a fun journey and just seeing the community grow. When I started, uh, there was about, I think, 6,000 members. And now this month, we're reaching to the point where it's over, about to be 9,000 members. It's amazing. Wow. And what is EdTech for people that um, uh, don't know what, uh, what that term means? EdTech could be pretty vague. I think at this point, it can really be anything. Uh, I think of EdTech as a big umbrella. So any type of technology or tool that can enhance your learning experience. So for example, you have platforms such as Pear Deck and Kahoot, right? And anything that is also aligned with the school curriculum for both K-12 and higher ed. And then you have supplemental tools such as um, I would say Slack is a supplemental tool for communication that can still be used in schools. And a company I recently uh, just joined is Curiosity Stream. And it's not necessarily ad tech, but it's a supplemental tool because what we do is we create a documentary. So it's a content streaming platform of just documentaries. And you can take it however you want it. I mean, at a school level, you can decide, you know, do you want to push it into your unit or your lesson plan? and as the person, I mean, outside of K-12, they can just be a platform just to watch. Okay. What did you do before that company? Before um, joining Curiosity Stream, I actually joined them about three weeks ago. And prior to that, I've been consulting on my own, uh, really advising and mentoring early stage ed tech startups, mm-hmm. both in the U.S. and all around in other countries, such as in India, Nigeria, um, Japan, just to name a few. I saw that you, I think, I forget which country, but you went to a country and they sh- showed them how to use VR. Um, yeah. And what, tell us what exactly that you did and how did you get it in, involved in VR? Yeah. Um, so actually, prior to the corporate experience I have, I was the head ed tech specialist slash the teacher. So I was working at a high school for kids with learning disabilities and 
I spent about three to four months just researching every single ed tech platform out there uh, because it was such my role really depended on me working one on one with per student. So it was very customized, right? If a student has dyslexia, I need to make sure I can find a tool that can accommodate their needs within what they're learning. And then from there, uh, I worked at a very privileged school where um, we didn't really necessarily follow a common core. Um, you can teach students what you'd like them to, to learn and um, you don't necessarily have to follow strict protocols. So from there, there was a lot of professional development and I decided, well, going back to the word professional development, I think when you're an educator, you understand what that means. And it's really any type of conference or course you can take that can enhance your growth in the field you're in. So I decided that, you know what, uh, there's a school in every country. Why don't I, whenever I go on vacation, why don't I just go visit a school just to see how the classrooms are set up? So I actually went to Costa Rica on a trip with my friends and made it into a work trip in a way where um, I bought my cardboard VR and I reached out to this orphanage. And at the orphanage, I said, I asked them, hey, I'm coming to visit in about a month. What is it that I can bring? And their main thing was, can you just bring us brain stimulating games? I'm like, okay, well, I don't have enough space in my book bag. I can't bring a whole puzzle deck, but the cardboard VR is super small. It's about Google cardboard VR. Yeah. It's about, I think at the time it was $15. I'm sure it's less now. So I bought the cardboard VR, brought my iPhone, uh, and then decided, okay, I will show these children who are at the age of five to 12 how do you like navigate? How do you travel to another country and how do you experience that with that going on a plane? And we had a language barrier and the kids, they were able to see Tokyo. They're able to visit the museum and walk through it. And for them, it was such an immersive experience. And when I think when educators are resistant to tech and they say, nope, kids aren't going to really benefit from, from that. I use that example and I brought it to my school, which was, Hey, we had a learn. We had a language barrier, but look at how fast these kids were so engaged. He learned, and that's even with the language barrier. So, uh, is this that was my implementing story. any any VR technologies? Um, at the orphanage, not necessarily, just because of you know accessibility. Um, but I'm still in connection with the director there, so I still provide some suggestions on low tech um, applications that Ping can use. And honestly, a Google Card with VR. The cost of it, even to donate it to another country or another school, it's like at this point, it'll be less than $15. And most places, as you know, coming from Bangladesh, a lot of developing countries already have a phone. They may not have necessarily a top working laptop, but they'll have a phone. You're right. Does the Google Cardboard VR work with an iPhone? I didn't realize it worked with an iPhone. Yeah, there's um, iPhone. Um, you, can work, you can use it with an iPhone. I'm not really sure if you're able to use it with an Android. It may be a different type of cardboard VR that you can implement with an Android, uh, but I do know you can use it with an iPhone. You I'm just in the have market. to check on the specs. Okay. I'm in the market for a VR goggles. I'm thinking, I was looking at the Quest, I think, the Oculus Quest, mm -hmm. the one that you don't need a, a laptop for. I thought, I think it's amazing. The last few years, VR has really taken off. Uh, I used to work in compliance for a long time. And that was uh, the next big thing is compliance training is really monotonous and boring. There were a few companies that I was speaking to and I actually wanted, to, I was consulting with one on creating compliance training solutions using VR. Because if you've mm -hmm. ever worked for a financial services company, I have for a long time, compliance 
training is required, but it's really just boring and people just mm-hmm. tune you out. So we're trying to figure out ways to create compliance training that's more engaging. So I think VR is really, um, really, really important in the next few years. What other technologies do you think is coming up in ed tech that you think has a lot of potential? For ed tech, I think that honestly, it doesn't, it's not the product really. Um, at this point, it's access to the product. You can come up with the newest, latest technology, right? But if students literally don't have physical access to it, then it kind of defeats the purpose of making it for students or for you know educators. I think right now, what's more important in ed tech is having access to high-speed internet, having access to a device you can use at home because you don't have the one-to-one laptops you get out of school, maybe. And not, I'm not saying all schools are one-to-one, but now that most children are going to be either virtually or even have some hybrid learning method, which is coming to school a few days and then you know, you're at home the rest of a few days. But I think what's more important is to have access to Wi-Fi, have a device to yourself. If you are a student with, let's say, three other siblings, it's not effective for you if you're sharing your laptop with your other siblings. Yeah. So I think for ed tech, my focus isn't necessarily on the product side, but I think really having access to a product. But at the same time, I know that there's, there's, a, there's a lot of live classes happening. So in terms of online classes, there's some startups that are really focusing on how do you engage students by doing some live courses. And I know um, was it OutSchool is one of them. OutSchool allows kids to really submit their own courses that they want to learn. So if you're a student and you want to know how to make seven different pizzas and that's your course, then you have access, you would submit that idea and then there would be a teacher who can teach that course live. And then there's other, other, another startup called Evertail, I believe. What they're doing is they're working on, it's sort of like Zoom, but uh, you are communicating with someone live and when they're speaking, you're able to see closed captioning on your end based on the language you understand. So if you're speaking Bangla and I'm speaking Hindi, you're going to see my caption in my language in Bangla and I'm going to see yours as Hindi. Wow. Wow, so that's, that's actually amazing. really, yeah, I think accessibility in products is going to be much more needed now that a lot more people are online. Mm-hmm. And we think accessibility was something people are already kind of focusing on. And now accessibility around screen reading, closed captioning, folks who are visually impaired, that's going to be way more important. Um, not just for ed tech, but just overall all type of platforms. Do you have a teaching background? Is that what you went to school for? Uh, no, I well, sort of, in a way. I actually went to school for uh, speech and hearing science. I went to the University of Buffalo where I did my undergrad in speech and hearing science. And then I never went back to get my master's. <laughs> so how did you get into uh, ed tech initially? So undergrad, um, funny story, I had to take uh, Janet on Microsoft Word and I was so pissed off I'm like why the heck am I taking Microsoft Word class if I applied to college I went through the common app I don't understand so I started googling the professor and I found out that they were actually doing a project around accessibility for um, early childhood care so from there I decided okay I'm gonna see what this project is about and, and then I found out they're leveraging um, Microsoft Word and they're tracking 
the speech rate to understand if a child has a speech impairment or not. And I thought that was really cool. Wait, I can actually leverage technology so I can bring access to communication. That's kind of cool. And then from there, um, I, since I went away to the UB, I didn't want to come back home and <laughs> be with my parents after being away from school. Mm-hmm. So I start, I applied uh, to this high school for kids with learning disabilities. And that was my first job right out of college. Had no idea what it really was. And my, my hiring manager at the time said, hey, here's a laptop. I'm going to be gone for a couple of months. I trust you know what you're doing. And I'm out. And I think just having that flexibility, but also not knowing the unknown really kind of just drew me in. And from there, I just started researching more and more and implementing more tools. Well, and then you came back to New York and, and uh, then you got involved with the, the meetup. Yeah. With the meetup, I did I started doing the meetup while I was teaching. Um, I Because the school I taught at was, I wasn't just the admin, but I was working with every single freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. And I started piloting a STEM course. So from the STEM course, I wanted to look at more events that were happening in the New York City area. And I fell into the New York EdTech meetup and have been uh, really piloting it and creating a, a community of so let's just, so what is the New York Ad Tech Meetup? Let's start with that. And the New York Ad Tech Meetup, it's really a community of entrepreneurs, students, teachers, investors, and anyone who has either a role in the corporate ad tech space or, or anyone who is interested in transitioning over. And we've done events with South by Southwest, um, Ed Surge, Village Capital, um, Start Ed, to name a few. And how does the meetup, work as a business because obviously you're operating as a business also. So you charge tickets for people to uh, enter events. Yeah. Um, so we charge $5 as an entry fee and that $5 goes towards food and beverage and on top of it, um, food and beverage and the whole networking piece. So it's, it's pretty an accessible price, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're doing the same thing at Boney. We're trying to build a community and we've been thinking about, I mean, COVID just happened at the worst time because we were actually mm-hmm. really trying to do more in-person networking events, uh, fundraisers, gallery events, and COVID just put a stop to it. But hopefully after COVID's over, we'll get back to that. And I definitely want to utilize, and I was really excited to see what you've done with Meetup. I'm really excited to use uh, Meetup to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, I mean, we should definitely chat on how, you know, I can yeah. kind of help facilitate the networking mixers because I've been doing that for some time and I see what works and what doesn't work. Yes. And so super excited about this. Yeah. And how do your parents respond to what you're doing in EdTech? Do they understand? Because I feel like Bengali parents, doctor, lawyer, oh. or engineer, other than that, everything else is just like, you know, they don't know what, what, what that is. Oh, hell no. They have no idea. They're always complaining every single day. Uh, when I first uh, put my major down a speech and hearing, they were super pissed off about that. Yeah. I'm like, I don't care what you, if that pisses you off or not. I'm interested, so I'm going to do it. And then eventually when they finally understood that, oh, a speech therapist can also work at a school and also at a hospital. Wow. The word hospital ring in their ears. So they got yeah. super excited about that. And then when they found out that I wasn't pursuing my master's in it anymore, uh, their main thing was, well, why aren't you pursuing your master's in this anymore? I already told all of our family, friends, and 
relative that you're going to be a speech doctor soon. So now I can't take that back. <laughs> I'm like, well, too bad. <laughs> That's not what I'm doing. And they're not used to me traveling because of my you know, past jobs. I've often would travel to different countries and, you know, already the Bengali mindset is, I think they're used to a little bit now, but before is before it was, well, why are you going to California? Why are you going to Brazil? I don't know what kind of job you have. Do you think, you know, there's some type of government official that you can just travel anywhere? <laughs> so it's, it's still hard for them to understand what I do. And even when I am on a video chat and I say, hey, don't call me today, they feel really offended. I'm like, I'm actually working. I can't just, you know, just drop everything right now. I'm working nine to five. Yeah, all parents are the same. Well, at least if you were a government official, that would be easier to explain, right? It may be. I would just say I work for the government and they would just say, okay, that's it. <laughs> that would be then the end of the conversation. Were you always techie uh, as a kid? Uh, in some ways. I mean, I just liked putting like toys together, toys apart. I loved watching movies all the time. And I think for me, movies was because I was still trying to learn English. I, mean, I came to New York, came to the U.S. when I was, what, two and a half? And I probably should have been in an ESL class till third grade. But so I'm like, okay, I'm in a long class. I'm not shy. I just don't know how to speak English yet. So I would watch movies and shows all the time. And for me, that was, you know, some sort of technology to help with communication and understanding. So I think that's where things rooted from. And here I am now. Do you think it, uh, one needs to be techie to work in tech? Oh, no, no. And honestly, what isn't tech, right? We have FinTech, HealthTech, um, FitTech, everything. I mean, at this point of, of the world we are in, everything is tech. So for one to not be tech, um, that just doesn't, you know, that doesn't mesh well with me. Do you know how to? So you're saying that if somebody wants to go, you don't necessarily need to know how to code or have product knowledge. No, not at all. Um, you can learn for product knowledge. You can learn that on the way. If you're trying to get into, let's say, a big tech corporation, you can go in as either someone who's a project manager, someone who does sales, someone who does customer success. Um, you're still working at a tech company, but your role doesn't require for you to code. Does that mean you're you're not working at tech. Yeah. You're working makes, at tech. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, what, are, what other stuff do you have going on? What do you see with, uh, happening with the meetup? What are your future goals with the meetup? Yeah. I mean, honestly, with the meetup, we haven't stopped our meetups. We've been doing it virtually and it's been even better. Um, a lot of people during, during you know, prior to COVID, uh, we had a lot of successful outcomes from the meetup. Um, often people would come from Turkey or different countries just for the meetup and they would schedule their other meetings around that date. But because now it's virtual, we've had more attended more attendees from Costa Rica. We've had more attendees from Australia and other states who just couldn't access the meetup because of, you know, location and the time. And so you I use, think, yeah, I think you use Zoom? What, what platform yeah. do you use? We've been using Zoom uh, and it's been working pretty well. We haven't had an issue. Uh, we usually do breakout rooms to facilitate much more deeper conversations through Zoom. Oh, wow. And yeah, we, we, and we really limit it. Um, it's not something that's going to be four hours long. Obviously, 
you know, bring your own beverage, bring your own meal, bring your kids if you need to, you know, uh, it's, it's really an informal community. Do you think, uh, were you always, I think to do what you're doing, you have to be somewhat extroverted or comfortable talking to people, leading people. Were you always like that? Or, and, or do you think somebody that's not like that can still facilitate events like you do? Yeah. Uh, so I think if we're going to talk about, you know, extroverts or introverts, I'm a little bit of both. Right. So whenever I do these networking mixtures and I'm talking to a hundred people, I need to just go MIA for the next week or two. I don't want to talk to you. I need to recharge. Right. And now that it's virtual, it's, I think it's even better for introverts because they don't necessarily have to be in a space where they're feeling anxious or they're feeling uncomfortable. It's really on, on their control, right? And they can leave whenever they want to. I mean, you can do the same in person, but I think it's a, definitely a different feeling when you are online and meeting other people. Yeah, that, that makes absolute sense. And I think a lot of us are just like on different points of the spectrum. I don't know. I mean, I guess some people are just very, very introverted, but you could put them in a position where they could become extroverted. Like, you, you know, some people are just very introverted outside Mm-hmm. with coworkers, but then you see them with their family and they're like a completely different person. Right? Yeah. I usually like, uh, scope out the room real quick. I'm like, all right, let's see, let's see what the, what, what the vibe is in that corner. And mm-hmm. let's just, you know, lurk a little bit and then I'll like open up. We're actually doing a TEDx next summer. Our goal is to do a TEDx next summer. So it'll be the first that I know of Bengali focused TEDx. So we actually have a project Finally. team that is starting to work on that. So I'm really excited about that. And we're looking for speakers and stuff. And uh, so I'm really, really excited about that. And it's actually, it's a lot of work, but um, it, it's, it's going to be very fulfilling. I'm excited about that. What, how do you manage project? Like what, what's your uh, tips for managing projects? Really putting everything on your calendar and also taking time for yourself. Cause if you don't take time for yourself, you won't do your product projects successfully or with full on creativity. So I recommend recharging as much as you can and then prioritizing, all right, you know, a month from now, is this something that's going to be worth it? Or how much of my energy am am I willing to sacrifice to put down for this project? And is it worth it for me? Um, And I use every, I put everything on Google Calendar. I I don't, there isn't one thing I do not put on Google Calendar. I put my lunchtime, I put my major project deadlines, um, any meetings I have. I even started doing that a little bit with, I'm checking in with friends because sometimes I can get, you know, when you catch up with friends, it, you have an hour set and it ends up being three hours and now you're kind of off track for your other things that you have to do. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, when, going back to what I was saying in the beginning about you know, not many Bengalis in tech or ed tech, I see a lot of Indians. Why do you think that is? Why do you think you, there are not too many Bengalis um, in ed tech, especially, especially Bengali women? I think it's... so. I think it's also because of the exposure and the awareness, right? Um, you hear just, you know, other tech sectors and ed tech, um, you don't necessarily hear that much about it unless you're already in the field. I think there's been more exposure now because of COVID where people are working remote, classes are online, a lot more people are taking Coursera. So I think we may see a little bit more people, you know, transitioning over to ed tech. And at the same time, if we say, in, why is there more folks from India, you know, who's in ad tech? That's also because there's an influx of ad tech startups in India. Yeah. And that's also part of the culture, right? Um, 
student improvement, online learning, and as well as, well as for India, a lot of the companies here in the U.S. outsource people from India for their ed tech products, for their ed tech company. And you pay them cheaper because of the currency rate, but that's a whole different you know, conversation. Well, listen, it's uh, great talking to you. I think one of the things I think is the problem is there's really no Bengali women in the tech sector that young Bengali girls can look up to. So I think it's great that people like you are out there, but also you're, you're vocal and you're hosting these events um, and people can see what you're doing. I think that's great. Just having an example. For sure. I think the main reason why I, you know, put myself in spaces, whether it's with startup founders, whether it's with investors, whether it's with schools or corporations, is so I can bring in my own community that way. No, you don't necessarily have to go to an Ivy League institution to get these resources. It's all, it's all, when you can, you know, that's great. It does bring you the network, but at the same time, it's also who you know. So I purposely put myself in these places so I can bring my friends or folks in the Bengali community, folks in the minority community, and give them the access that may not be as easily out there. Yeah, and it's also, I think it's great to know and that you reiterated earlier that you don't have to be a coder uh, or you don't have to be a programmer to you know work in this space. And so many other things you can do, so many other skill sets that you can leverage. Um, like you said, if you're a salesperson, you can do you know, sales or customer service, things like that. So it doesn't have to necessarily be coding because a lot of people are turned off by tech because they think it's all coding. And frankly, I was like that too. So I, so mm-hmm. I can see that. So I'm glad you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, and I think also that having uh, people skills, people, having the people skills, especially, I mean, if we're going to think about tech, that's going to be so, so helpful uh, because you need to know how to communicate with people. Even if you do coding and if you don't know how to have that empathy, right, that's going to impact your you know, product down the line if people are, aren't being as transparent or people are miscommunicating. So I think that's another skill for anyone who is interested in tech. Like, you know, if you have people skills, you will flourish too. That's fine. Thanks. Thanks for that. All right, great. So come back whenever you start having events. Um, would love to talk to you again about what's going on. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to see what else uh, you have going on. For sure. That sounds good. Gotta be honest, with diamonds and pearls, yeah, yeah. Bengalis in New York, all over the world, uh, it's the bony show. Uh, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live. From the slang we spit to the gangs we with, it doesn't matter. We the essence of the Bangladesh. I say, hey, come on, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live. From the